Welcome to this special edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV's NBA podcast. I am Andrew Posadas, pleased to be joined alongside Kelly Bright. Yet again, Kelly, I think we're becoming that dynamic duo, that Shaq and Kobe, the LeBron and AD right now. But again, happy to be with you. And Kelly, today's the day. Tonight's the night. The NBA season finally tips off. We get basketball. It's only been like 72 days, and and it's one of the quickest turnarounds in professional sports history. But, Kelly, I am happy that NBA basketball is back. Oh, as am I. And 72 days, while it is short, has felt so long, especially in a pandemic that makes time feel like it's crawling. And it was just a little easier to sleep last night, knowing that finally, like you said, the NBA is back, basketball is back. We've got two great games slated for today. And then a few days after that, you know, a great Christmas Day lineup. So it's just a really exciting time in the sports world, especially in the basketball world. And like you said, happy to be back on this podcast with you. I think we're at least top five duos (laughs) in basketball. I don't know if we're LeBron and AD level yet, but we're on the come up. We're on the come up. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of teams on the come up. I think we're kind of like those teams. We'll talk about teams on the come up a bit later, kind of preview our eight teams in the East and the West who we think will make the playoffs. Then a bit later on, Kelly and I will hand out the awards who we think is going to take home that MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, Most Improved, Six Man, all those good superlatives to end the season. We'll give you that, plus some hot takes. Maybe you can take them to the bank. Maybe you can rip them up and tell us that we're hacks, whatever you want. But Kelly, let's start with tonight's doubleheader. The season does tip off. It's a 72-game season, but this doubleheader right here, I think, is worth about 10 games each, probably, with these matchups. We'll begin in Barclays Center with the Brooklyn Nets. KD, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving finally get on the court to play with one another, and head coach Steve Nash makes his debut against Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors. Draymond Green has officially been ruled out. Although second overall pick, James Wiseman, he will be playing. It's unclear whether he'll be starting or coming off the bench. Obviously, we know Klay Thompson will miss the season after that torn Achilles. Steph Curry, a lot of people think he might be a favorite for the MVP now coming back from his injury last year. Kelly, a lot to take here. I mean, KD facing his former team. What is Steph and Coach Kerr going to do without Draymond and Klay? How is KD and Kyrie going to coexist with this team? What are you thinking heading into this first matchup? Had Clay Thompson been healthy, I think this game would have had a little bit more excitement coming into it. But you got to think the last time we saw the Warriors, this was their starting lineup. Andrew Wiggins, Marquise Chris, McCall Mulder, Damian Lee, and Juan Toscano-Anderson. Now, I, don't, I know maybe two of them. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the stat line for any of them. And, you know, they lost by 24 to the Clippers, and they were the worst team in the NBA. And now you're coming into a season, you have Steph Curry back, who, like you said, I, and I agree, could be in the contention for MVP talks, especially because he's going to have to carry the team on his shoulders without having Klay Thompson. I do Draymond Green, I don't think he's going to be out for a long time, so that shouldn't be an issue, but it's still going to fall on the shoulders of Steph Curry. And it's been a long time since we've seen him play, which I think one reason that this game is so exciting is because we are getting KD back and we are getting Steph Curry back. Two former MVPs, two former finals MVPs who are both coming off pretty serious injuries, but they're coming with a lot to prove on two exciting teams. I think the Warriors, you know, they have James Wiseman, like you said, he should be very 
interesting and, and it'll be exciting to see how he develops in his first year. You know, Kelly Oubre Jr., I think he's going to be interesting on that team. So I, it's a lot of exciting stuff. I think the Nets have super high expectations this season. You know, I, I picked them to be in the top three in the East. So it, it's going to be great to set the stage and, and see these two great teams go at it, especially like you mentioned, you know, so many storylines. You have Katie not only coming back to the NBA, but also coming back to play, you know, his former team. So a, a lot to look forward to there. Yeah, there really is a lot to dissect. When I think about the Warriors first, I think for Coach Steve Kerr, I mean, this is going to be a tough job. I mean, last year was tough. And think about when Coach Kerr came in, everything that he inherited, having Steph, Clay, and Draymond already there. Then they had KD, you know, three championships and like five NBA finals later. Then last season happens, injuries derail everything, and the Warriors go to the bottom of the West. Now it's kind of like Coach Kerr has to be a coach. Like it felt like it was real easy and he can go into cruise control. And he's kind of admitted that, but now we're going to see what he's really made out of. And I think it's going to be vital to see how he can help develop Andrew Wiggins. And you mentioned Kelly Oubre. I think especially Andrew Wiggins with all that money he's getting paid. And I think it, for as underwhelming as he's performed and a lot of fans believe that, you know, he, he's not a bust, but he's getting into that territory. If he doesn't put up the stats that one believes that he should for someone who's getting paid that amount of money. So I think for Coach Kerr, it's going to be imperative upon him to really focus on the progress of Andrew Wiggins and bringing Kelly Oubre along because now without Klay Thompson, he has to be right in there in the starting lineup and he has to be that shooter scorer that they expected Klay to be off the ball from Steph. So for the Warriors in a loaded West, for Steve Kerr, they have to get off to a good start because if you get off to a slow start with all these other teams in the West, you could find yourself at the bottom very quickly. And with only 72 games, Kelly, you can't make up ground as normally as you would in an 82-game season. You're losing 10 games. And for the Brooklyn Nets now, I think we know what it's about for them. It, it really, in my opinion, I know some may not agree, but it's championship robust. I don't care if this is the first year that KD and Kyrie are playing together. When you have that amount of talent around them and the depth that they have, with that team, I think Steve Nash has depth on the coaching staff. Mike D'Antoni, Jock Vaughn stuck around. So I think for them, they are right where they want to be, that they should be right at the top of the East and they should be contending and they should be that team to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals. But again, that's as long as they stay healthy. But Kelly, I think we both can agree. If there's a team that's going to knock off Milwaukee and Giannis right now, if everyone thinks they're the favorites or the Miami Heat and what they were able to do in the bubble – if the Brooklyn Nets are 100%, it seems like they're going to run through everybody because that preseason game against your Boston Celtics, I'm sorry, but they looked incredible. And I'm, I understand the Celtics didn't have, they didn't have Kemba Walker, but still KD and Kyrie looked phenomenal after all the saging that Kyrie was spreading around the TD Garden. If Kyrie's going to do that before every game and they're going to play like that, the Nets are running through the East. Yeah, you know what? Exactly. <laughs> If Kyrie's going to play like that, if Katie's going to play like that, if they're going to come out and destroy a team that, you know, has been legitimate contenders for the past three or four years like that, sage everything. Sage the locker room, <laughs> the bus, sage the bathroom after you use it, whatever you need to do. You know, I have no problem with that. And honestly, if that's going to keep, if that's going to keep Kyrie mentally sane and, and keep him level-headed, you know, off the court, since that is one of the bigger questions for this team, then, then so be it. Because like you said, you could argue this is a championship or bust team. Nine guys in their roster were starters last season, and that's not including Kevin Durant. So you bring in these two all-stars in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and 
you know, the ceilings that they can reach, the potential they have is just ridiculous. And, and they have depth too. Like when I was thinking of six man of the year candidates, I thought of three players on, on the next second <laughs> six man of the year candidates. And that's not even counting their starting five. So this is a really deep team. It's, it's also very exciting to see how first year head coach Steve Nash handles being in, in the New York spotlight with this, with these two all-stars, with this team that has these kind of expectations. I think it's going to speak a lot to his ability as a coach to transition from being a player to a coach. And it's just, it's very exciting, especially for New York basketball fans who haven't had a lot to be excited about in about a decade or so. Yeah. And I think it's, it's funny because I think Steve Kerr can look at Steve Nash and say, Hey, I was in your position. Like my first ever coaching job was with a really good team. Although I don't think many people thought of the Warriors the way that we think of the Nets right now. I mean, the Warriors weren't the Warriors just yet, but Mark Jackson had them on the up and up. But, but again, I, I, think, I think he can relate to Steve Nash. And I think if Steve wants to use a coach or a template as to how he should go about coaching in his first year, I think he's going to look at, at Steve Kerr and what he was able to do with the Warriors and try and implement some of those same philosophies, especially when you have stars like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, just big personalities. But for Steve Nash, he was a point guard. He understands what it takes to keep your stars happy. So I, I think for the Brooklyn Nets, it, it'll be a test because Steph Curry's going to come into Barclays and he looks like he's going to drop 35 this season. Like he seems good. And the way he's playing off the ball, that should be scary for everybody because Steph going off the ball, running around screens, like he's Richard Hamilton. I mean, that's, that's dangerous, but again, that will be the first matchup of tonight and the back half. I think one team that needed Sage to be spreaded around the Los Angeles Clippers, Kelly, because they gave up that three, one lead in the bubble to the Denver nuggets. Now they have to watch their in-town rival, the defending NBA champion, Los Angeles Lakers, they have to watch that banner get hung up. They got to watch LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the rest of that team receive their rings. Oh, and by the way, when they're looking on the other side of the court, they're going to see one of their best players from last year, Montrez Harrell, the heart and soul of that team, a lot of people thought. They're going to see him in purple and gold. So Kelly, for the Los Angeles Clippers, how important is tonight to make a statement uh, it's so important. And you kind of laid it out. You know, the Clippers, they're coming from, they have such a bad taste in their mouth. You know, they just suffered the, you know, they have a fractured ego, ego after blowing a three to one league to the Nuggets of all teams. And, and here they are, like you said, they're going to have to come in and watch their, their biggest, toughest opponent for the year in the Western conference with the Lakers raising a banner in, in an arena that they share. It, <laughs> doesn't get much more demoralizing than that and then like you said with Montrose Harold being on the other side it's they have a lot to prove in this first game and I think from a team that had so many chemistry issues that we've heard about in the offseason there's just so many question marks people are really questioning whether or not you know this Paul George Kawhi Leonard combination is effective and you have Ty Lue coming in as the head coach kind of pro proving if if you know Paul George blamed Doc Rivers for a lot of a lot of what happened to them at the end of the season and and I think this, there's going to be a big question mark here with Ty Lue. And is, is it really a coaching issue? Is it really, is it, was it really on Doc Rivers or is it the players themselves? Are they going to be able to figure it out? You know, now this is going to be the second year of those two playing together. You can't really keep using the excuse that they're adjusting and that they're getting used to playing alongside each other at this point, because now, you know, you're in your second year and there can't be any more excuses. This team is too talented to not come out and show up in the playoffs. And I think, 
yes, it's the first game of the season, but you're playing the Lakers. You need to show up for that first game. You need to, you know, set the standard for, for how you guys are going to play throughout the year. And I know they're a team that likes to load manage, but you don't load manage in the first game of the season. You give it all, you know, Kawhi's going to have to come out guns blazing. Paul George is going to, he just signed this big contract. He's going to have to prove that he was worth all that money. So I think they have a lot to prove. And, and the first game is a great place to start. Yeah, the Clippers, there's so much there with the Clippers, so much surrounding them. Obviously, you mentioned PG, he gets that extension. And then the other day, Kawhi says that, you know, if everything goes right and he's healthy, it would be smart of him to decline his player option and go out to free agency. Now, he said that that's not going to decide whether he leaves L.A. or not, whether he declines his player option. But again, I think Kawhi is kind of putting the Clippers on the clock and letting them know, like, hey, this has to work. If this second year ends up like what happened in the bubble where we gave up a 3-1 lead and the team looked like they flat out quit on Doc Rivers. They were unresponsive and they did not adjust and they really let the Nuggets win four straight games on them like that and send them out when a lot of people, a lot of us thought, hey, we were just waiting for Clippers-Lakers. That was the one matchup we all expected. We didn't get that. And I think for Kawhi Leonard, it's incumbent upon him. He's not a vocal guy but he's going to have to be a vocal leader. He's going to have to do more and say more. I know he likes to let his actions do the talking, but we've seen him talk a bit more to the media through Zoom. We're, we're seeing him be a bit more vocal in what he wants to see from the team. And I think he's going to have to be that guy. I mean, he's going to have to do it on and off the court, not only with his play, but he's going to have to be that leader in the locker room to really just galvanize this crew because that was heartbreaking. And now you lose Montrez Harrell, you bring in Serge Ibaka, you still have a few pieces there. But again, they're putting money into guys like Marcus Morris. They gave Luke Kennard an extension. So now you're investing in those guys. If that doesn't pan out, again, for the Clippers, they should be thinking championship or bust too. They have to at least get to the conference finals. And even that might not be enough. If they get to the conference finals and they lose to the Lakers in five games, does Kawhi want to stick around? I don't know, Kelly. So for me, I'm with you. This is huge. You want to at least let the Lakers know, hey, we're still here. Yeah, we might have blown a 3-1 lead. But we're coming for you this year. And for Kawhi Leonard especially, I think for somebody who hasn't won an MVP yet, you know, two, two-time two finals MVP, this could be a year where Kawhi kind of breaks out and makes his case for finally winning an MVP. But again, the Los Angeles Lakers, Kelly, they might be better now than they were 72 days ago. I mean, I know they lost the rim protection with Dwight and JaVale, but you add Dennis Schroeder, you add Montrez Harrell, you add a Marc Gasol, you re-sign KCP, you re-sign Kuz. Taylor Horton Tucker looks like he might be special on the low. He's come out of nowhere in the preseason. It's, it's not crazy to say that the Lakers are better now than they were when they won the championship down in the bubble. Yeah, I, I think they seem pretty unbeatable right now. Like you said, they the what they did when they changed they changed up their lineup a lot in the offseason, but they kept their two best players and they only improved. You know, the things that they were lacking and maybe, you know, scoring, shooting, they brought in people to help that. You know, you bring in Marcus All, West Matthews, they're gonna provide defensive defensive grit and inside outside scoring ability. You know, you bring in Montrez Harrell, Dennis Schroeder, all these all these key players, you know, who are who can play at an elite level and you're pairing them with the best duo in basketball right now by far, LeBron and AG, who I both think could be legitimate contenders for an MVP and they're on the same team. So, you know, I think the biggest threat, honestly, to the Lakers repeating to me is COVID-19. Like barring someone getting COVID, barring a serious injury, I don't see a team even, I maybe you could argue the Clippers, but I don't really see a team challenging them. They're just, 
you know, give Rob Palinka the MVP right now because, you know, the, he manages offseason so well. And this team just has so many upsides and not a lot of downside. And this is the window. If, if LeBron wants to get up to, you know, catch up with Michael Jordan, get, you know, keep adding those rings, this is the time to do it. He is getting older. You know, yes, he's still on a high level. He's 36 and he's still playing like a 25-year-old. But, you know, as you get older, age does start to kick in and you already see him kind of deflecting more of the spotlight off to AD and kind of passing the torch a little bit. So you got to wonder how much longer he's going to be in his prime. So this is the time to just tack on those trophies to, to be the best team in the league and to bring home those rings. And, and I, again, like I said, I don't see anyone legitimately giving them too much trouble. I think they're just such a talented team. And I, and I agree. I think they upgraded significantly in the off season. Yeah. And you mentioned that if COVID and, and health, if that allows it, I think we're, we're going to see the two best teams in the league tonight when you talk about the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets. And that might be the finals preview right there when you think about those two teams, if they stay healthy. I mean, can you imagine that Kyrie and LeBron face off, you know, after that great finals in 2016 and the fallout, everything Kyrie has said about LeBron, how LeBron's felt, his feelings hurt. Then KD and LeBron back the last time they saw each other, KD was knocking down a three right in his face. What was that game four, game five down the stretch when, when the Warriors were beating up on the Cavs? Steve Nash uh, against Frank Vogel. I mean, there's just a lot there, I think, with these matchups. I think for sure, if, if both of these teams stay healthy, I think in my mind, they are the two best teams in their respective conferences. And Kelly, that takes me to my next question. There obviously can only be eight teams to make the playoffs this year, just 72 games. I will start. Let's start in the Eastern Conference. Who are your eight teams that are going to make the playoffs this year? Listen, I'll start by saying this was tough. It was very <laughs> tough for me to narrow down eight teams. And I think aside from the top three, I think the bottom five could be switched up and rotated in any way. And I think, like I just said about the Lakers, I think it is going to be a strange season in the fact that, you know, barring anything that happens with COVID, you know, teams – having to set out games, key players being set out, that could always change things. But that being said, my East, number one, I have the Bucks. I think you mentioned the Nets. I, I very high in the Nets, but I think Giannis, I think he's just a generational talent. And I think bringing Drew Holiday is huge. You know, you're giving him another piece and you've got to, they have it. They, they have to have hope Drew Holiday steps up because they did so much to acquire him and and hopefully he's going to be an all-star and average around 20 points a game I'm, I'm projecting maybe seven assists you know being with Chris Middleton and Giannis that he should only increase and improve his play I think you have those three players that I just mentioned there you bring in Bobby Portis DJ Augustin you know Tory Craig a lot of these versatile you know players kind of veteran type players that could really help you know round out this lineup so I I gotta go with the Bucks number one Number two, I have the Sixers. This was tough for me. Oh, I need to hear, please. I wanted to put the Nets too, but I put the I put the Sixers above them because, barring nothing happens with James Harden trade, I because that is still I guess a question. Let's just assume that they keep the same lineup that they have right now. I think the combination of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid is just so lethal. And yes, they they failed to advance beyond the second round you know, in the past few years that they've had Embiid and Ben Simmons. But I think eventually you have to break through that ceiling. And, you know, they have 
a new executive in Daryl Moore. You have the new head coach in Doc Rivers. You you kind of have this a fresh start. You know, you bring in Al Horford, Josh Richardson. You pick up Seth Curry and Danny Green. And I think that's going to add a lot of shooting potential to their backcourt and to their lineup. And they didn't have, you know, they lack kind of these high volume, quick trigger three-point shooting. I think they ranked 22nd last year in three-point attempts per game. And you bring in Richards, you know, you take out Richardson and Horford, who kind of hurt the offense, and you bring in Green, who's a 40% three-point shooter for his career. And, and you bring in Curry, who's obviously one of the best uh, three-point shooters in the league. You know, he's got the second best mark in NBA history right now. He kind of gets overshadowed by his brother, but he's a great shooter. So I think they're going to improve offensively. And, and hopefully, you know, Doc Rivers just got, he just got some criticism from his players you know, like with the Clippers, I hope he comes in and, and wants to prove something. So I have him finishing above the Nets and which you, I, I don't know if you'll agree with that, but um, Nets number three for me, like we just said, you know, great team, great talent. I think the only reason I have him in three is because there are still some questions. How healthy is KD going to be? Is he, he going to be able to, you know, stay healthy throughout the season? Same with, with Kyrie. Are they going to be able to work well together we haven't actually seen them play together so that's still kind of a question mark and I don't usually read too much in the preseason anyways and you also have the James Harden question are they going to is that trade is that going to be a potential trade nightmare are they going to lose people like Spencer Didwitty Karis LeVert I think there's still questions there four I have the heat you know um Jimmy Butler Bam Adebayo you know they make the rest of their team better I, I love Eric Spolster I think this team could make some huge improvements. They had such a good time in the bubble last year. I, I love them last year. I think Tyler Hero could make some huge jumps. You know, I, I love this team. Five Celtics, my team, hurt to put them this low, but <laughs> without Kemba Walker, without Gordon Hayward, it, it's you're relying completely on Jason Tatum, who I know, Andrew, I know you love Jason Tatum. I love, love him. It's hard to carry a team completely by yourself. You have Jalen Brown. He's coming off one of the best seasons of his career. Um, but it, it's, it's hard when you don't have much beyond the, those, those big two, and you're relying on a lot of young guys. There's a lot of question marks, you know, we can get into this a little bit later, but I would love for the Celtics to use that trade exception that they have from the Gordon Hayward deal and bring in another talent. You know, I think Aaron Gordon from the Orlando magic could be a potential candidate for that. So again, a lot of questions there. Still six, I have the wizards, Bradley Beal, love him. I think he kind of goes under the radar, especially because he's been on a team where he hasn't had a lot of help. But he was averaging 30 points a game last year. You know, he, he was one of the top scorers in the league. And you bring him in with – and you bring Westbrook in. Westbrook reuniting with Coach Scott Brooks. You know, I, I, I like what's going to happen. I love – I like the Wizards. I, I want Westbrook to kind of show that he's more than what the Rockets traded him for. I think he's better than John Wall. I think the Wizards got the better end of the deal in that situation. Seven, I have the Hawks, who I love. I love their offseason. You know, they spent a lot of money brought in a lot of pieces, but they have some great pieces that they got in those, in those acquisitions, you know, Gallinari, I love him. You got Rajon Rondo, who was great for, for the Lakers in the bubble, you know, Chris Dunn, um, Onyeka, I can't even say his last name, but, um, you Alinke, know, I believe it is pronounced. There we go. Yep. And Clint Capella, you know, you, they have, they've always had defensive questions and I think they went into this off season and kind of said, oh, well, let's just make our offense even better. So, you know, I, it's an offensive-minded league, so hopefully all those offensive moves can pay off. I have them kind of lower in that top eight because there's still questions on defense, but 
I think there's a lot of young, talented players on that roster that would keep them in the playoffs. And number and finally, number eight, I have the Raptors, who I wasn't entirely sure on. But, <laughs> you know, their starting five is so good. Kyle Lowry, Fred, Fred Van Vliet, you know, OG, Pascal Siakam, Baines, you know, it kind of drops off a cliff after after that, but I think their top five is so strong. You know, they did lose Gasol and Ibaka, which is going to hurt them at the center position. Um, but I think Siakam, you know, he's great, and I think uh, he can improve this season. You know, OG, he, you know, he had some great performances last year. He had a 32 game against the Nuggets, and you know, he had that game winning shot against the Celtics in the conference semifinals. So uh, I think you have some players there who could really step up, but. That's my top eight. I would love to hear your top eight. Love to hear your opinion. Kelly, I was worried for a second. I was like, is Kelly going to put the Raptors in? Like, is she and like waiting for that eight seed? I mean, I, I can't blame you. But And then you don't have – I believe the Pacers is the one team that you kind of left out. They made the playoffs last year. They still have Vic, Victor Oladipo. Sabonis will be back. Miles Turner. TJ Warren played really, really well in the bubble. See, that's the thing. The Pacers are the one team – we basically have the same thing, but just in a different way. I have the Nets at number one. I think the Brooklyn Nets as constructed. And I think whether they trade for James Harden or not, if you trade for James Harden, I think the longer this pans out with the Rockets, I think it's it, it'll be less that the Nets will have to give up to get James Harden. If they wait it out and it goes to the trade deadline and the Rockets are desperately looking to just unload James Harden for whatever, I think the Nets can get him. Is that going to be the case? Probably not. The Houston Rockets have leverage. They have them on contract for another couple of years. So I don't see that. So if the Nets don't make a trade as constructed, they're, to me, they're deeper than the Milwaukee Bucks. They're deeper than the Miami Heat. They're, they're deeper than the Sixers or, or the Celtics. So I'm going to go with the Nets at number one. I'll have Giannis and the Bucks at number two there. I think they'll be fighting with the Nets. Obviously, if they had added Bogdan Bogdanovich, that might have put them over the top for me. But you know, now we found out that they lost a second round pick because there was some tampering involved. So maybe not the most legal of things. So I think better off that the Milwaukee Bucks didn't end up getting Bogdanovich and he went to Atlanta instead. So I'll put Milwaukee at two. At number three, I'm going to have to put the Miami Heat there. And I just can't, you know, they won the Eastern Conference. I thought they were going to go to the NBA Finals when we got back into the bubble. I was proven right. I just think with Spolstra, Jimmy Butler there, Bam, Bam, obviously he, he got that contract. A lot of people were questioning if he's worth that much money, but you know, he, to me could have been most improved player if not for Brandon Ingram season. So I think he's just going to take the next step. He's only going to get better. And again, when you have those young pieces, Tyler hero, Duncan Robinson, you know, we've seen good things from Kendrick Nunn scoring the ball. I think the pieces are there. And Pat Riley is the kind of guy that if he likes a trade or he wants a potential move to pair another superstar with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, that still could be on the table for the heat. So I don't think they're done making moves throughout the season until the trade deadline. After that, you put the Sixers at number two. I'm going to put them at number four. I really think, obviously, we, we're still, I don't think any of us are still sold on Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as a long-term superstar duo. But this, to me, is the year, though, right, Kelly? This is the year where Doc, he's going to have to prove it. I think he has a chip on his shoulder after how things ended in L.A., and I think he's going to be motivated to kind of prove everyone wrong and say, no, this Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid combination can work and I'm going to make it work. So I will take Doc. I think that Philadelphia is reinvigorated. You mentioned, you know, people like Seth Curry adding shooters around them. I think Tobias Harris will bounce back from, from a kind of a down season on his part. 
considering his contract. They're able to trade away Al Horford. So they have more flexibility financially. I, I think Philly's in a good spot. I'll put them in four. At five, I have the Celtics. Your Celtics, I think Jason Tatum by himself can lead the Celtics to a top five seed. And I think he'll be in the MVP conversation this season if he stays healthy. And I think for the Celtics, it's all about waiting for Kemba Walker to come back. Whenever he comes back, I think you add that scoring punch at the point guard position. I think that'll make things easier for him, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. I'll have them at five. At six, I'll put the Raptors. I wasn't high on them last year, but I can't disrespect them this year. Uh, it's too tough for me to do that because they made me eat my words. Nick Nurse is a hell of a coach, deserved to be coach of the year. He just gets guys to play defense, and they're just so good. Him and Masai Ujiri, just so good at player development. You know, we've seen OG and Pascal Siakam, although Siakam did have a disappointing bubble. In my opinion, the playoffs really underperformed, but I think they'll still be there. They're a playoff team, of course. I'll have them at number six, and this is where my problem comes because the last two spots I think are going to be it's going to be a battle between three teams, the Pacers, the Wizards, and the Hawks. I'm going to put the Wizards at seven. I just feel like Russell, I want Russell and Bradley Beal to work so badly. I don't know why. I just want Brody to come back and let everybody know that he's not washed up. And Bradley Beal definitely has a chip on his shoulder. Wasn't selected to an all-star game, Kelly. Wasn't on an all-NBA team because of the fact that the Wizards were so awful, but his stats really, he could have arguably been on the second or third team All-NBA. I know he's going to want to come back. So when you got two guys like that who are motivated to kind of put the rest of the league on notice that they're not going anywhere, I think I like the Wizards at seven in that first round matchup with the Bucks two seven matchup. That might be interesting. You know, Giannis, Russ, that would be a nice little jibber jabbering back and forth. And then I'm going to have to give the Hawks that last seed. The Hawks have to make the playoffs this year. They, they just have to. If not, then I think they might have to look elsewhere as far as coaching is concerned. But Lloyd Pierce, this is about as good a team as you're going to get. Obviously, Trey is spearheading that. He'll be learning under Rajon Rondo, and I expect him to be even better passer. Maybe Trey even averages 10 assists or more this season. But you mentioned Bogdan Bogdanovich, Clint Capella. John Collins is still there. They obviously have Onyeka, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, two guys who I think one of them who I might pick for most improved player a little bit later on. But again, I think the pieces are there. And for the Indiana Pacers, I kind of feel like injury woes are going to hit them again, whether it's Vic, uh, Sabonis, or Miles Turner, even TJ Warren. I think injuries might mess that up for them. And they have a first-year head coach, I believe, uh, used to be the assistant for Nick Nurse in Toronto, uh, forgive me for, for not knowing his name off the top of my head. But I, I think for the Pacers, that might be a transition year. And we don't know if Victor Oladipo wants out or not. He said on multiple occasions he doesn't want out. But in the case that it goes wrong, maybe we hear trade rumors about Victor Oladipo going somewhere. So I think for the Pacers, that might be what does them in. So I'll have them on the outside looking in. But I mean, if the Hawks, if they can really be that fun competitive team that I think they can be, that one eight matchup with the Brooklyn Nets or with the Milwaukee Bucks. That's going to be a fun first round matchup. That's the Eastern conference. Kelly, let's move over to the West. Who are your eight teams in the wild, wild Western conference? Yeah. We thought the East was hard. Oh yeah. my. Oh, this is ridiculous. This is even harder. <laughs> Except for the first spot, which is, which is obvious as Lakers. And, and it doesn't get more obvious than that. You know, we just talked about 
how talented the, this team is. You know, you know, you have you're bringing in Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, Marcus Saul, Wes Matthews, and you're adding them to a team that's led by Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And I don't think I have to say anything else to justify that pick. Uh, number two, I have the Clippers, and and we just talked about that. I I've said it on a few shows now. I love bringing in Sergi Baca to this team. I think you know he's going to be great with Kawhi Leonard. I think he's going to ease some of the tension in the locker room, you know, he was a key part of Toronto's elite team defense when him and uh, Kawhi were able to go in and win the championship. He can shoot threes, you know, and I think Ty Lue could come out and manage his team a little bit better than Doc Rivers did. He's more of a player's coach. Um, and I think his style fits better. You know, Paul George, he, he obviously collapsed in the playoffs, but, you know, he, he just signs his big contract. He's a lot to prove. He's still a top 20 talent in the league. You know, I love Luke Kennard. He, I think he's an upgrade over Landry Shamet. You know, he's more dynamic. He can shoot threes, create plays. So I, I really like this team, and I, I think I think they're going to be the closest thing that the Lakers have to competition in the West. Number three, a team that I'm pretty excited for, the Nuggets, and their team name kills me, and I think that's why I haven't really considered them to be in, in the top five the past few years. <laughs> but – you know, you have this dynamic duo in Jokic and Jamal Murray, who I think are arguably the next best duo in the league behind LeBron and AD. You know, the Nuggets had the fifth best offense in the league last season, both in the regular season and their play in the playoffs. And now their roster might be even better. You know, you're bringing Compazzo in. You know, I think he's one of he could be one of the best passers in the league coming in from the from overseas. You know, Jermichael, uh, Jermichael Green. Um, I think he could be re- he could be really strong, you know. Um, they they lost Grant, but I think Green will come in and, and step up for them. You know, Paul Millsap he excelled last season, and I think he could continue um, to build on that, even though he is he is older. I think he's thirty four now. So, but they have some good. I think Michael Porter Jr., who who I'll talk about later, I know for a fact, <laughs> I think come in and and replace Jeremy Grant and. I think we could see some huge break, a huge breakout season for him. You know, he has, you know, quickness and this dribbling and shooting ability that I think he could really come in and do some damage with. So I'm excited to see how he progresses. Number four, I'm going to go with the Mavs. And, you know, they, I, I'm, that's completely contingent on, first of all, Porzingis and his health. You know, if he can stay healthy, I think that him, again, him and Luka Doncic, that's that's a deadly combination right there. Luka, I think, could easily be an MVP this year. I know um, a lot of people are putting him, at, are picking him to be the be the MVP. Um, and for good reason. He's so talented. You know, he's so young, but he, he, he came in last season in the playoffs and shut down some of the best teams. So I, I think he's, he's very talented. And, you know, they had the best statistical offensive season in league history this past season. You know, they finished with 115.9 offensive rating, which is which is unheard of. And and you bring in Josh Richardson, who's going to help them on defense. You bring in James Johnson. You know, the, these two former Miami Heat teammates could go a long way in making the Mavs an even tougher team. So I, I really like them. And, and as long as Porzingis can stay healthy, I think they're going to be in the top four. Uh, number five, I have the Jazz. Again, this we've been talking duos all day. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. You know, Rudy Gobert just obviously signing that big contract. Um, I, I think they're going to come in do some damage. I have them as five because I'm, I'm not, I don't really like bringing in Derek favors as your biggest off season move. You know, you, now you have two bigs with him and Gobert, And it's, you know, that's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic to have, especially in a, in a Western conference that loves to spread things out on the floor, but 
you know, Rudy Gobert is super talented. Obviously always up for defensive player of the year there. Um, Mitchell, you know, he averaged what, 36 points, five rebounds in the first round series against Denver, you know, in, in the bubble, he had two 50 point outings and, and he, I think he's going to be phenomenal again this season. So keeping them up at five, six, I have the trailblazers, which I, 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 you know, I think they're a team that's kind of slept on, you know, you have Damian Lillard who, again, I think you mentioned earlier could be in contention for the MVP, you know, what's largely held him back in his success. You know, he's, Yes, he's obviously been a top scorer in the league the past few years, but he hasn't had the teammates. And now you have Robert Covington, you have Derek Jones Jr. in place to help fix the defense. You know, I, I think Portland's going to hover around the upper half of this Western Conference playoff picture. And I think they're going to, their defense is going to improve significantly. And this is a Portland offense that was ranked third despite missing, you know, Zach Collins, Rodney Hood, uh, Nurkic for most of the season. All three of those guys should be back and healthier this season. So I, I think their offense is going to improve. Seven, a team that, Andrew, I know you love. And you were the first one to introduce me to really the idea how good they can be this year. And that's the Suns. And, you know, you have Devin Booker coming in. You know, I think he's going to explode this season. You, you have Chris Paul, who's a huge acquisition for this team. I think he's going to help improve De Devin Booker significantly. Um, DeAndre Ayton, who I, I think could have a breakout year as well, you know, and, and I think him and Chris Paul are going to work super well together. You bring in Jay Crowder, Aitwan Moore, you know, a bunch of veterans who know their roles and are going to perform well. You've got your three young wings and Bridges, you know, Johnson, Sarik, you know, just a, a very talented team. And you got they went 8-0 in the bubble last season, so you, they're going to have to improve on that momentum and, and keep it going to this year. Monty, Monty Williams, I think this is going to be a huge year for him as a coach, and, and he has a lot to prove. And I think he has the pieces to kind of do some – kind of make things happen when, you, when they get towards the playoffs. So they're my number seven. And it was tough for me to pick this, but A, I'm going to go with the Warriors. And I think that's almost completely contingent on, on Steph Curry and how he's able to come in and play off an injury and, and prove that he can still be the former MVP-type level player that we've seen in the past, James Wiseman, I think, is going to be a huge X factor as the number two overall pick. And he finds himself in a situation with the Warriors where he's going to have to step up. And there's going to be nights when he's going to have to, you know, be that second or third man for their team. You know, hopefully Draymond Green's back soon. But, you know, Steph Curry, Kelly Oubre Jr., it's all young guys coming together with this team that's going to look different than we've seen in the past. You know, Andrew Wiggins, obviously you mentioned earlier, he's athletic, but he's going to have to step up this season. But you have Steph Curry on your team. When you have Steph Curry on your team, you're always going to be in, in at least conversations to be in the playoffs. So I'm going to keep them as my final eighth, eighth seed. This West is so tough. I have so much scribbles here on this side. It's, it, it's crazy. Let, let me try and, and make this as succinctly and as concisely as I can because it's just a lot. And you mentioned a couple of teams where I was thinking like, wait, the Warriors, like, am I going to put them in the playoffs? We, you didn't even mention the Rockets. I'm just like, all right, let, let me go with a number one for sure. The Los Angeles Lakers, until I see something else, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, the additions that they have at their best. And I know they're going to take games off and kind of get themselves into the season. Maybe that first month might be some load management. But once they get going, that team is going to be, as we've seen in stretches in the preseason, they can be unstoppable, especially offensively. I'll have them at number one. My hot take is at number two, I love the Portland Trailblazers this season. I think they're going to finish 
as the second seed in the West. When you think about Dame and CJ, and then the additions, Melo comes back. You know, obviously they signed DJJ. They get Robert Covington to shore up that perimeter defense. And, and obviously Covington proved that he could play the four in stretches and kind of guard different positions. You add Ennis Cantor, who for some reason, when he's on the Blazers, he just plays well. He comes off the bench, gives you a quick double-double. And with Nurkic's injury history, at least you know that you have somebody that you can put in and plug in at the five if need be. And I think for them, and then you mentioned somebody like Gary Trent Jr., who had a breakout bubble. And I think he's only going to keep that moving. You have shooting there. And I think with Damian Lillard, anything seems possible. He just seems to be that kind of guy who he, he just doesn't want to pair up with any other superstars. Like he just seems hell bent that he wants to get a championship for Portland or at least put them in position to win a championship. I think he does just that. And I think Portland really shocks everyone. They're going to be a deep team. I love Coach Stotts. He does a great job up there. And I think Dame, uh, a very hot MVP candidate, I may elaborate further before this show ends, but I think Dame is right there where he wants to be, a top 10 player in this league and somebody who can really solidify himself as a top five player if he does well this season. And he somehow puts himself finally in the MVP conversation. From there, I like the Nuggets at three. You mentioned Michael Porter Jr., He's another guy. I mean, most improved player, maybe. I mean, if he can take that next step, and I love him as I think his talent, he is a superstar if he wants to be, and it's going to be on the defensive end. He's going to have to get better there, but he can be a great two-way player. And I think him alongside the Joker, alongside Jamal Murray, Gary Harris will be healthy again. I think that team and Coach Malone, they're right where they want to be. They'll be at three. I'll have the Clippers at four, but I'm a little hesitant at four. It all depends on health. Is Kawhi going to play 65 games? Is Paul George going to play, you know, 60-plus games? Ty Lue, what can he do? We know he won that championship with the Cavaliers, but a lot of people say that was more LeBron James and Kyrie Irving than it was actually Ty Lue. So is he the one to change that and kind of wipe away the slate that, that Doc Rivers left there? So I don't know, but I, I think with that talent, you mentioned Serge Ibaka, you know, they get Luke Kennard. They have enough. They should be a top four seed, and I'll have them right there at, at four. At five, I'll have the Phoenix Suns. Give me some more of the Phoenix Suns. I'll take all the stock that you can give me. I think Chris Paul really just changes life for Coach Monty Williams, who is a hell of a coach himself. He's been through so much in his life. And now to get this second opportunity as a head coach with Phoenix, Devin Booker has been – he's hungry for a playoff appearance. In the bubble, we saw this Phoenix Suns team go undefeated, 8-0. They weren't able to catch up and get that eighth seed. But again, they had some great momentum. DeAndre Aiden could be a guy who could average 20 and like 12 this season if he can stay healthy. So I think the pieces are there. I like the Suns. Give me them as a top five seed. From there, I'll go the Mavericks at six. Obviously, Christoph Porzingis, it seems like he's on track to come back sooner rather than later. So with that offense and with Luca being a potential MVP candidate, I'll have him at six. I'll have the Jazz at seven. I think, obviously, they've kept everything basically intact. They added favors. You get back Bogdanovich from that injury. I think they have something here with Donovan Mitchell at the point guard position. I think that really kind of changed their offense, made it more dynamic. So I imagine that they'll still go there. Uh, they'll have him at the one and kind of give him more time as the, as the dominant ball handler. For the offense, I'll have them at seven. You had the Warriors at eight. Give me the Memphis Grizzlies at eight because obviously we're all forgetting about John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. too. I think they can be a great combo and they've shown that they have that grit and I like what they've done. And again, 
We didn't mention the Rockets and another team we didn't mention, Kelly, the New Orleans Pelicans. And I don't know about you, but I will say this. I did not pick them only because for some reason, right here in the bottom of my heart, as I show Kelly in the Zoom meeting, like right here where my heart is, I just I love Stan Van Gundy, but I feel like injury, just like I said with the Pacers, I think it even doubles for a team like the Pelicans with guys like Zion. Can he stay healthy? Uh, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram. Uh, they added Steven Adams. But again, I just feel like maybe injuries might take a toll on some of their key players, and that's why I'll have them just on the outside looking in. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if the Pelicans were in there at number eight or, or at number seven instead of the Jazz or the Grizzlies. But again, if they're healthy, I do expect the Pelicans to be battling for playoff contention. But again, I think injuries really is the reason why I was hesitant to put the Pelicans in there in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I also, I have a note here. I wrote Pelicans question mark under eight because <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I think Zion Williamson, we have not seen, you know, his potential. We have not seen the best he can play. And, and under, like you said, under Van Gundy, hopefully he comes out, he enjoys this kind of freedom. You know, Van Gundy is able to help develop him. And, and Zion doesn't want to turn into Devin Booker, you know, as much as we we're praising Devin Booker earlier, he, he doesn't want to keep switching up coaches. You know, he, he, he wants to get comfortable with someone. And I think Van Gundy can be someone that he's able to blossom under, you know, I expect Zion to come in again, like you said, if he's able excuse me, to stay healthy, that he could average, you know, around 25 points, eight rebounds, you know, a game. And, and I think his, his development this season is going to be huge. I think they are maybe a piece away, maybe a few years away of development from being in the, maybe making that, you know, six, seven type seed of playoffs. But, but like you said, I, I, they are right there on the edge and, and they definitely could fight for the eight seed. Yeah, I mean, the West is going to be so tough. I mean, we're leaving out teams and no disrespect to the Warriors or the Rockets or the Pelicans, but I mean, you really could, I mean, it really seems like, what are there, like 15, six, 15 teams in each conference? It seems like, tw and except for the Timberwolves, the Kings, and maybe my Spurs, Beside from those three teams, it feels like there are 12 teams who legitimately have a chance to make the playoffs in the West. It, it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. And I think that's the one. I mean, the East has gotten stronger, but the Western Conference, there's so many good teams. It is going to be a bloodbath. And with, with 10 games less this season, every game is going to be even that much more important. But Kelly, before we get everybody up out of here on our season preview here on Pick and Pod, it's time to give out some very, very early awards, our predictions for who is going to take home the hardware come end of the 2020-2021 season. Kelly, let's start with the best award of them all, the most important award, the most valuable player of the 2020-2021 season will be who? I'm going to go with Luka Doncic. And I'm going to say that in the fact that if you look at who the other contenders are, I think they all have reasons that they won't get picked. You know, LeBron, Kawhi, I don't know if they're going to play enough games. Anthony Davis is splitting, splitting that conversation with LeBron being on the same team. Giannis, you know, the likelihood of him having a three-peat for MVP, you know, that would put him in conversation with Bill Russell, Larry Bird, and Will Chamberlain. And I don't know if he's ready to be in that same conversation. You know, James Harden, he's a question mark this year, to say the least. Kevin Durant, you know, he is coming off an injury. So I think it has to go to Luca, And, you know, he played so well last year. He is so young. The NBA loves him. The NBA wants his – they want to promote him and, and keep him in the spotlight. So I would not be surprised if Luca takes home his first MVP. Yeah, Luca's going to be in the conversation. But, again, I put the Portland Trailblazers at number two in the West for a reason. I think 
Damian Lillard, this is the year. I mean, we saw it in the bubble and we saw it before the shutdown in late February, early March, where he was just going out of his mind. I think he's going to continue that trend. I wouldn't be surprised if he put up, you know, at least 30 plus, he might even get to 35 and there might be some stretches where the Blazers are going to need his offense. Obviously they're deeper now, especially on the defensive side. So I think that'll help with, with uh, Damian and with CJ who aren't really great defenders. I think the additions of somebody like Covington will help them, but Damian, I think this is his time. It's Dame time. And I think a lot of people might be sleeping on him. There other, again, Luca, a lot of people think Steph Curry, you know, people are thinking, you know, Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis, Giannis again. But I think Damian Lillard, if the Blazers can finish with a top three seed and Damian Lillard is the driving force, much like he was before the shutdown and in the bubble, don't be surprised if Dame time finally lands on that MVP award. And I think that would really solidify Damian Lillard as a guy who everybody in the NBA should respect a guy who's trying to do it in Portland, not trying to do it with anybody else in a major market city. And for him to get the MVP, I think that's going to be great for the NBA in general for parity within the league. But let's move on to the other side, the defensive player of the year award. I'll go first, Kelly, because I, for me, this is pretty quick. Giannis won it last year. And I think Giannis is going to win it again this year. He can guard positions one through five. Milwaukee is going to need him to do that because Chris Middleton is not the greatest defender. Obviously, Brooke Lopez is a little shoddy. Drew Holiday, obviously, is going to solidify that perimeter defense. I think him and Giannis make one of the best tandems in the league. But I think Giannis, with how good he is in, in being able to guard just about anybody, I think he wins Defensive Player of the Year back-to-back years. I wrote down Giannis too. You know, his physical dominance in the paint is just unmatched and his defensive IQ is ridiculous, his athleticism. But for the sake of good conversation, I'll offer up Anthony Davis. You know, I think if he's not an MVP, he definitely could be a defensive player of the year. You know, he has elite rim protection, great mobility on the perimeter. You know, he's got, he's very versatile. He can defend any style. And he's, I mean, he's going to be on a team with the Lakers who is probably going to be one of the best defensive teams in the league just as they were last year and and just such a talented team and I think Anthony Davis just deserves so much respect and if he's not going to get that MVP he might as well take home defensive player of the year that's a good pick too I I mean I thought Anthony Davis was going to be uh defense player of the year last year but again I think AD is that kind of guy he could he could win both awards both MVP both DPOY and we'll figure it out, especially with LeBron. If he takes some games off, AD is going to have to really be that guy. The Lakers are going to have to rely on, on both sides of the court. Very nice. I think Giannis AD, they might be too. Rudy Gobert is going to be up there after he got paid. I mean, the jazz hope that he can win himself another defensive player of the year with all that money he's making Kelly. Let's move over to sixth man of the year. Who do you think is going to take home that award? So I put two names. I put Gallinari with Atlanta, you know, I think he's coming in, he's playing behind John Collins, and I think he's going to boost that second unit, which struggled to score last year, like with Trey Young, you know, he, he is this veteran presence on a young team, I think he could come in and offer a lot of offense, you know, he shot over 40% from three last season, and the Hawks are the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA, so I think he's going to come in and definitely help them on that front. I also put down Karis LeVert, and, and I said this earlier in the show, I think either him or Spencer Dinwiddie, just depending on how Steve Nash decides to run, run the Nets offense and, and their lineup, you know, either one of those names could be in the conversation in this preseason so far, you know, Karis LeVert has been coming off the bench. He exploded for 18 points in that game you mentioned against the Celtics last Friday. So I, I think he can come in and 
he could lead that second unit and, you know, he almost served this, you know, Ginobili like role as a scorer and a playmaker. And I think it's going to be the best fit for this team. He's so effective with the ball in his hands and playing, you know, that if he comes in and he's not having to, you know, split time with Kyrie and Katie, all three of them on the court at the same time, I think he could come in to his own and, and bring in significant contributions to to this Nets lineup, which is, which is like we talked about, a very deep team and, and they have high expectations. So I, I definitely could see Levert being a sixth man of the year. You mentioned Gallinari. I'm going to pick somebody from Atlanta, but it's not Danilo. I think Rajon Rondo could be the sixth man of the year. When you think about it, he's going to be coming in with the second unit because Trey's starting. I don't think Rajon is not going to be starting at the two or at the three. He's going to be coming off the bench. And when you think about when you say veteran leadership, I mean, Rondo is one of those guys that, you know, even though he's had some instances, I remember when he was with Dallas and with Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle was calling out plays and Rondo was like, nah, nah, I think I'm going to call this play. Like, don't worry, we're good. And some people said that he might've been a bit uncoachable, but from what I've seen from players and, and the feedback, especially from LeBron and AD from that Lakers team, they love the leadership that he brings, that toughness. He's such a great passer. I think he's only going to make Trey Young better as a passer and especially defensively what, you know, he's just such a good defensive point guard. I think Rondo could be the type he could get himself a, a quick, you know, 12 points, 10 assists off the bench. I mean, Atlanta's going to need that. They're going to need another facilitator. They want Trey to work off the ball and be a scorer. That's what he's best at. So I think Rondo can kind of slide in, be that initiator on offense. And I think Rondo think about his journey from the Celtics to now, I don't think even he thought in his wildest dreams that he'd ever be in consideration for a six man award of the year. But again, I think Rondo, you know, with that Atlanta team, with their depth and the fact that he's going to have to lead that second unit, I think Rondo could definitely be six man of the year. I'm going to pick Rondo. Why not? The curious case of Rajon Rondo gets him a six man of the year award. Kelly, now it's time to move over to most improved player. Who do you think is going to take the next step and win that award this season. You know, we mentioned Michael Porter Jr. earlier, and I think him coming in and stepping up, you know, with the loss of Jeremy Grant to Detroit for the Nuggets, I think he is poised to have a breakout season, you know, especially with this increased opportunity. You know, I'll also say DeAndre Ayton with Suns, you know, your team, you're, you know, yes. you're all in up with them. All in. In, in 32 starts last season, he averaged 18.2 points, oh. over 11 rebounds, 1.5 blocks per game. You know, he came in, was able to do some work. And I think with Chris Paul, like you said, coming in, I think he's going to make the most of Aiden's abilities and the sky's the limit for him. He's only 22. He still has a lot to learn. And I think that that him and, and CP3 could have a, a great pick and roll combination. It's already proved effective in the preseason. I think Aiden kind of, he kind of reminds me of Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. But, you know, I think if he improves, he can, he can do a lot with that Suns offense. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton is one. I just think that the fact that he averaged 18 points, and unless he goes up and averages like 25 and like 13 over like 60 games, maybe. But I think Michael Porter Jr., considering what he, the stats he put up during the regular season before the shutdown, you know, going into the bubble, and now he'll probably end up starting the season uh, in, the, in the starting five. So I think for Michael Porter Jr., he has superstar written all over him. And I think Mike Malone understands that. And I think he's going to have to do his part to make sure he integrates MPJ alongside Joker and alongside Jamal Murray, because he can make life easier for the both of them. And I think Michael Porter Jr., he might average close to a double-double. He's a good rebounder. And I think it's just defensively. 
Can he buy in? There's a lot of guys on Denver who we don't look at as great defenders. Joker, obviously. Jamal Murray's not known as a great defender. Guys like Paul Millsap. Jeremy Grant was arguably their best defender. So was Mason Plumlee. And now they're going to Detroit. So I think if Michael Porter Jr. can kind of buy in on that side of the floor, I think he should run away with most improved player because he might put up 21 points, nine rebounds, and like three or four assists. And I think that would run away with the award. Let's move over to the last player award, and that is a doozy. This is a good one. The rookie of the year. Kelly, who do you think, which first-year player do you think is going to take home that hardware? It's an interesting year, Andrew, because these players are coming in not having played March Madness, not having, you know, a normal offseason, a shortened training camp. You know, it's just – it's a weird season to come in as a rookie. And already this class, I think it is a talented class, but it's not the most talented class we've had in the past few years. That being said, I'm going to go with LaMelo Ball. I think he's a character. He's got the swag. He's got the drip. You know, he's coming in to a team in Charlotte that really honestly has nothing to lose. And they kind of show that with throwing all their money at Gordon Hayward, who's basically a man made of glass. He's been injured so much. So LaMelo Ball is going to come in. He's, his passing ability we've already seen in the preseason is elite. You know, he has great floor vision. And he does have, you know, a lot to improve on. His shooting needs to be a little better. But He's just got flashes of that kind of Ben Simmons rookie year energy, you know, hard nose, hard nose rebounding, flashy playmaking. And it's kind of, it, I think he can come in and, and he's got a lot of storylines. He's got a lot of media attention. He's just got this kind of, you know, I don't know this X factor to his game. People <laughs> just love hearing about him. He's fun to watch. So I'm going to go with LaMelo Ball. Kelly, we finally agreed. I, I love LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball to win this award because, I mean, coming into this, I mean, just seeing him in preseason so far, he looks so much more aggressive than Lonzo was going into this rookie year. Lonzo looked really tentative, didn't really want to shoot, was kind of weary about what his role was. But LaMelo's coming in there, great passes. He's finding Miles Bridges for alley-oops. He's pulling up for three. I mean, he's just unabashed. He doesn't care. And I respect that. You need a rookie who has the guts and who has the wherewithal to want to take those shots. It's one thing. If, if he's missing the shots, it's one thing. But at least he's willing to take them. I think LaMelo is exactly what they need. I think he'll make guys like Devontae Graham, uh, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, the $120 million man. I think he'll make life easier for them as a facilitator. I wouldn't be surprised if LaMelo finished top 10 in assists as a rookie in the league. He could definitely get over eight, maybe get nine. Double digits would be crazy. But again, I think LaMelo, just him and Lonzo, they just both have that vision. And I think you're seeing it more with LaMelo now because he's willing to take, I mean, some of these one-handed passes, these lobs, they're just, I mean, they're passes that you probably wouldn't make or you shouldn't make, but he's doing it anyway. And I think Charlotte needs that infusion. I'm sure Michael Jordan's going to be happy with that, seeing that excitement. And I think LaMelo definitely is the prohibitive favorite for rookie of the year. And before we end it, coach of the year, Kelly, I think Monty Williams with Phoenix. I love Phoenix. Give me more Phoenix. And I think Monty Williams with what he has now, I think he's going to put them in position as a top five seed in the West. And I think Monty Williams takes home that coach of the year award. Yeah, Andrew, I love that pick in Monty Williams. Again, for the sake of good conversation, I'll throw in, you know, Eric Spolstra with, with the Heat. You know, he could honestly, he could host a master class on how to bring out the best of these of fringe players. You know, he could, if he can repeat and build on the success that the Heat had in the bubble, I think he could be an easy choice for coach of the year. You know, that they, he takes these players and, and just makes them better. You know, 
people didn't really know who Bam Adebayo was until last year. He didn't really come out of his shell until, you know, Spo was able to work with him and, and turn him into this, this all-star level player. So I think definitely him. I think it's, it's getting cold out. So I'll offer a hot take. I think Ty Lu could also be in the conversation depending on how he's able to turn this Clippers team around and, and use and come in and mesh this, these chemistry issues and kind of fix some of the issues they had last year. And if the Clippers are able to show up in the playoffs, I think, he, he deserves a spot in that conversation for coach of the year. Yeah. I would say two other candidates, Steve Nash. Imagine if the Nets get off to that start and Steve Nash in his first year wins coach of the year. Now I think a lot of people might attribute that to the coaching staff. Like, Hey, you got D'Antoni, you got Vaughn there. Like, you know, it's not all Steve Nash, but again, if the Brooklyn Nets finish first in the East, it's not crazy to say that Steve Nash could be the favorite to win coach of the year in that scenario. But how about Doc Rivers? You put the Sixers at two. I have them at four. If they finish with a top four seed and they have a turnaround, which nobody expects, how about that? He gets fired from the Clippers and then wins coach of the year the next year with the Sixers, potentially. I think that's a scenario to watch out for. But again, Kelly, We've given the fans over an hour now of NBA season preview content. I don't, I think we've covered just about everything. I don't think anybody can expect any more from us as far as previewing this season. No, but I, honestly, the thing is we, co- we probably could have gone on for two more hours. It's just so exciting to have basketball back. It's so fun. To, it's so fun to go into get into these things. You know, we're talking about six man of the year, coach of the year, and we haven't even technically played a game yet. It's just it's so fun to finally get to talk about a professional sports league and and predict these kind of things. So, you know, ha- I'm I'm glad that we were able to. I'm glad that we got the chance to do it. Yeah, and now that all the talking is done, the only thing left is watching some basketball. That means tonight on TNT. Doubleheader, the NBA season officially tips off. 7 o'clock, Golden State Warriors, Brooklyn Nets. 10 o'clock, the Los Angeles Clippers against the defending champion, Los Angeles Lakers. And from there, fans just, I don't, buckle up. Enjoy the ride because this NBA season is looking to be a fantastic one. We will leave it at that. Kelly and I will get ready to watch this doubleheader alongside everyone else. We'll be excited. You'll be excited. The NBA season is officially upon us. For Kelly Bright, I'm Andrew Posadas saying goodbye for this latest edition, the season preview of Pick and Pod. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports. Enjoy the season tip-off, everyone.